You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin by calling out to the helping spirits to be with us here today. So I call out to your ancestral helping spirits and to mine. I call out to those people who lived well, who died well, who met the challenges of their time in a way that brings to us this great legacy of all that is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines. I call out to these luminous ones, to these ancestors who can help us to understand how to bring the gifts of humanity to bear on our own time and how to transform those places where humanity is not such a gift into the true blessing that we are meant to be as part of the great web of life. So I call out to these ancestors to stand with us, help us to avoid the mistakes of the past, to go forward in a new way, and to innovate where things need to be done differently. And we ask these helping spirits to be with us so that we can do what needs to be done for those who are coming. And as the ancestral helping spirits gather round us, I reach out past the human helping spirits to those other energies that are here on the planet with us. And I ask our non-human ancestors, those who were here long before there were humans and will be here long after. I call out to those energies to be with us here today, the plants, the animals, those energies that carry the medicine, that carry the teachings. And I ask them to be with us in a way that allows us to do a better version of being human and to understand our true nature and to bring those unique gifts to bear in the world in a way that is good for all living things. So as these ancestral energies in their many forms gather around us to hold us here today, let's gather ourselves, draw our own energy in from wherever it might be, into ourselves, into our heads, and take a nice deep breath and let it move from our heads to our hearts. Another breath, moving the energy from our hearts down to our bellies. And from our bellies, let's take a moment, slowing everything down to a nice stop. And let us touch the earth. And take a moment in our mind or actually with our hand, maybe just through our feet, to touch the earth and to connect to this great dreamer. And we give great gratitude to the earth for the wonder in her dreaming, for the magic of life, the awe, the splendor, the beauty, the diversity, and all of the challenges, especially those that seem impossible. And may the dreaming of the earth help us to rise up as dreamers to understand what these impossible challenges that face us are calling out of us. How can we become the men and women that are really needed in this time of redreaming reality? And we give great gratitude to the energy of the earth for this generous dream that allows us to change as long as we are still breathing. So with just wonder at the incredible compassion in this dream, let our gratitude pour out of our hearts as we reach down through all the layers of the earth, 
all the way down through all the layers, giving gratitude until we reach the very center of the earth. And however you want to visualize this is up to you, whatever feels real for you. And to connect in there to this energy that is before all of the abundance that we enjoy, enjoy here on the face of the earth. We connect to this energy that nourishes, that sustains and replenishes, and that emerges ultimately as diversity, beauty, and abundance, as food, as shelter, as people, as plants, as animals, as all these many things. Let us connect that which is before all these things that we know, this unknown energy that is silent and dark and still. And let us reach into that energy as we would reach into a fresh water spring and draw it into ourselves in a way that can replenish and refresh and renew us. Let us draw this energy all the way up through all the layers of the earth and into our body. And in doing so, let us come to understand what is required to ground ourselves in our life, in our body, in the world. And as we ground ourselves, let us become clear where it is that we stand, what we stand for. And to build a sense of our home, our sense of belonging and connection from these things that truly give our life meaning. Let us not draw this energy around us from cultural norms and nations and people that are all just exactly like us. But let us draw this sense of home and belonging from that which is valuable to us, that which has meaning that which moves our heart and let us do this this sense of home and belonging and hearth and table let us do this in a way where we leave an opening for that which is other that which is not like who we are that which will challenge and provoke us through its very differences to become better versions of the men and women that we have come here to be and may we learn in this way to be in right relationship with all aspects of ourself right relationship with those around us with the environment and with the invisible world and as we reach out to all of these layers of connection and interconnection and oneness with all things may we come into right relationship with ourselves. and with that energy and the energy of the earth let us rise up with our awareness into our heart and up into our head and rise up and out through the top of our head out through the sky and whatever weather it holds for you at this time no matter how odd or wrong it might seem as the weather and climate shifts and moves on our planet, reach out through it nonetheless, out through the atmosphere and out in the cosmos, all the way up to these radiant energies above. Whether we visualize it as the moon or the sun or the stars or energies beyond that, we reach out to these radiant energies and call down this essential energy of blessing. The energy that blesses us and the energy that protects us. We call these energies in that we might feel this energy of commitment and devotion, inspiration and illumination and these energies that inspire us and stand with us as we actually step out and walk the path of our lives. We call these energies in that we might move more briskly, more directly toward our destinies. And as we draw this energy in, we draw it into our head and our heart and our belly and send it all the way down to the center of the earth. And in this way, in our human body, we become this place that is the great meeting 
place of heaven and earth, above and below, coming together within us in a great wholeness that is this big love that birthed this entire experience of form into existence. This experience of form that we depend on so so deeply. It's so convincing and we call it life. We give great gratitude for this and we ask that big love to awaken the spirit of our own hearts that that crucible of transformation can come online and wake up and call up the fiery passions of the belly and draw down the crystal clarity of the mind and bring these energies together in the heart in a way that that dynamic tension can give birth to a third and most sacred thing. And that is some sense, some memory, some feeling of why you are here. And may you find the courage in that heart to do something in this day, large or small, to bring those unique gifts out into the world and to share them with others. And I give enormous gratitude to all the spirit energy that is here for every single one of us, whether we know it or not, to do exactly that, to bring our gifts out into the world. We give great gratitude for all that gathers round. May they help me today so that what needs to be said is said, what needs to be heard is heard, and that these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. I want to give a special thank you to Hannah and Eunice, Belle, David, Alice, and Susan, and all the listeners who have donated financially to the show. The show is listener-supported, and that means that without you, I couldn't be actually doing this. And so we have um, six years and six and a half years, actually, over well over 300 hours of podcasts in the archives free for anyone who can get on the Internet. And this is made possible by the listeners who have been willing to donate large and small amounts to pay the bills that keep the archives available out there on iTunes, on whyshamanismnow.com and at cocreatornetwork.com. And I give great gratitude to those of you who are able to help in that way. So if this show is meaningful to you in any way, if it moves you, even if it moves you to frustration and irritation, it's so easy these days to just block somebody, delete them, unfriend them, whatever it is. But often these things that irritate and frustrate us um, are the things that make us look within ourselves and choose to understand something that is of great meaning and value to us in a different way, perhaps in a deeper way. And so if this show does that or simply just entertains you, um, I ask you to do something in some way, large or small, to help the show to grow. And if you're not able to donate financially, um, do do something that engages the, these ideas in your life, in your journey circles, in your own personal practice. Um, send the questions, send the ideas that come up for new shows. Keep the show alive and vital because you all know as soon as it starts to become boring for all of us, we're done. So please do whatever you can to keep the show alive and well and interesting here on the air. And I give great gratitude to all of you for it, all the financial um, donations. No matter what form they come in, they all go directly to keeping the show on the air. And I am grateful for that. We are live today. So if you have any questions about today's topic, you are welcome to call in at 512-772-1938 or to Skype in from co-creatornetwork.com. This is, of course, if you have a question about today's topic, which is embodiment, which is sometimes called possession. It's often called shamanic possession. It's sometimes called intentional possession. But I'm doing all that I can here today to encourage everyone to simply start calling it embodiment. So if you have any questions about today's show, you can certainly email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. 
and I'll do my best to respond um, or simply to turn your answer into another show. I mean, this show itself is from a listener's question. So shamanic trance states, the way I, the way I teach this, even in the journey class, is I teach that shamanic journeying is only one bookend on the shelf of a great diverse uh, range of shamanic altered states. Um, and the other bookend is embodiment. That, so journeying, in, in a sense, to grossly oversimplify, journeying would be your journey spirit, like the part of you that is moving around in your dreams at night. That part of you intentionally moving out of this physical realm and into what we consider the spirit realm or the energy version of what's going on, either here or beyond here in time or space. So that's journey. But the idea is you actually go there. The idea with embodiment is that your helping spirits come here. And they, they don't have form, and so they move into your body and use your body to affect change here in the world. So it is the primary um, altered state used by shamanic practitioners when they're doing extraction work to um, remove energy. So if you think of ayahuasca shamans, they are embodying and merging with the ayahuasca, literally. And using that energy, that spirit energy of the ayahuasca, which is usually visualized as an anaconda, but nonetheless using it for their amazing extraction work or sucking extractions. But the same thing is true in simply embodying um, a helping spirit without the biological component or the physiological component of the plant medicine. It's still the same idea is inviting the energy that is going to assist or move through the shaman in. So it's an embodiment state. And both of these states are intentional. They are engaged um, by the shamanic practitioner with intent. And um, they are engaged. uh, So the beginning of the trance state, the focus of what is going on in it, and the end um, are aligned and focused with the shaman's will Um, there's a great deal of surrender and allowing spirit to guide all of that of course but the important thing is that the practitioner's free will is not overridden by the spirit help that's that's the key to understanding what i'm going to endeavor to talk about today (laughs) okay so shamanic trance states are are intensely intimate experiences. Um, In the shamanic journeys and in embodiment states, there can be great joy that comes from being in the presence of the sacred and of divine energies in that intimate space. Um, In addition to that, there are gifts that embodiment alone offers the practitioners that journey simply cannot. And I'd like to be able to get to that point today in the show and talk about what that is. However, before we get there, what I feel is really important for contemporary practitioners, because there's so much bias uh, painted into our understanding of shamanism through the academic study of shamans, particularly past academic study of shamans. 
But I feel that to truly understand shamanic practice as a whole, that we must recognize the equal importance of journeying and embodiment trance states without carrying forward this bias that comes out of decades of academic research into shaman. The bias being that only journeying or spirit flight is valid and this sort of classic high form of shamanism and anything that uses a plant hallucinogen or involves embodiment um, is somehow some sort of degenerate or lesser form. And that, um, that bias that threads through much of the research about shamanism is, is a Eurocentric academic um, idea. It has no foundation in the actual lives and workings of shamans and shamanic people. And it's really important as contemporary practitioners, no matter where we come from, that we understand this history and we stop propagating it. And and in many ways, it's very much like the challenge, for example, in America, for every straight white guy to recognize there's this invisible privilege. And how do you begin to operate in a way that you're not constantly taking advantage of that privilege. It's a challenge. It's a challenge to see what we couldn't see before. It's a challenge for all of us. And so what I'm inviting contemporary practitioners to do is to understand that there are biases threaded through the literature about shamanism that are completely inappropriate and have nothing to do with how the shamans actually describe what they do and nothing to do with the actual efficacy of what shamans are doing around the globe. So let's not propagate those biases through our own ignorance. That's my hope. Okay, so moving along here. So like I was saying, what's important to understand is that journeying and embodiment are effective working altered states that shamans use around the world and that they begin and end these altered states at will. And for the most part, there's a couple exceptions, but for the most part, they also understand clearly the energies that they are engaging with, be it in embodiment or journeying. Now, the problem is that this embodiment trance state is often referred to as possession. It's not always used in a derogatory term, but it's often used to describe an embodiment trance state. So actual possession is the unintentional intrusion, I mean unintentional for the person, intentional for the intrusion, um, of some type of foreign spirit, so foreign to the person's energy body. And this is considered an energetic illness from a shamanic perspective or at least an unhealthy state in anybody's perspective actually. And so this is why the beginning of a novice shaman's life can be very confusing because in the beginning, the helping spirits who are often not yet uh, familiar uh, to to the novice can feel intrusive and foreign because the relationship hasn't been forged yet. So the beginning for some novice practitioners, particularly in the past, had this kind of confusing dynamic. Nonetheless, 
we need to understand that quote-unquote shamanic possession is not actually possession at all but the intentional embodiment of a helping spirit with this caveat of recognizing in the beginning we all need to learn how to do some things you know most of you didn't just jump on a bike and start riding it you had to learn how to ride the bike and you fell down a few times and so that beginning relationship between a shaman and help and a helping spirit um, in the beginning can feel like the shaman is not really using their volition and may feel that their free will is being overridden um, and that's that is ad- admittedly part of the confusion in the beginning of a shamanic calling but what makes the shaman a shaman is their ability their innate ability when that struggle occurs to sort it out by themselves and that is really important to understand is the distinction between a shaman and an everyday person who is also struggling with understanding their own spirit help because everybody's got spirit help is that the shaman is capable of sorting that out scary though it may be on their own you can get yourself through your own forest which is the only thing that prepares you to get others through theirs and so this 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 contemporary oh i'm confused go to a healer is is a fine thing to do but if you're wanting to become a shaman it is not my job to sort that out for you what makes what will make you a shaman is your ability to truly in a healthy way sort that out for yourself so that you are able to enter and exit your trance states at will and you are not taken over and we'll we'll talk a little bit about the gray area because it is shamanism after all but this is really important for people to understand I really, I, I really appreciate a listener that I got an email from a while back it was kind of a long email but the piece of it was talking about you know, how did you do this? He said, you know, I really appreciate how, how did you figure this out? Because 25 years ago, there, there weren't that many books. There certainly wasn't Why Shamanism Now, giving you 300 hours of whatever about how to, how to do shamanism. And that's true. There's a lot of information now and there's a lot of practitioners now. And that's a good thing. But if you're really trying to respond to your own shamanic calling then you need to sort out your relationship with your helping spirits. That is actually how you become a person who can really call themselves a practitioner. All right, so moving on from that point, I'll get off that soapbox. Sorry about that. (laughs) I was setting up housekeeping. Um, So moving right along. So part of my job here today is I would like to get our words organized. If, If I ruled the world, we would stop calling these intentional embodiment trance states possession because possession really does describe an unhealthy state it is possession happens and it is a problem and and people are already confused enough about shamanism they're already confused enough about what's a helping spirit what's an intrusive spirit there's confusion there's misunderstanding and ultimately there's this rejection of shamanism because people can't figure it out so if you go around as a practitioner talking about your possession state with your bear spirit that is not helping 
that it, we need to begin to talk about possession as the problem that it is and deal with it and our embodied work with our helping spirits as embodiment trance states and it will help people start to understand shamanism as a valid healing form and i think that's part of the teaching responsibility on all of us as practitioners and i'm and by practitioners i mean i include even people who just learned how to journey and are just starting to do a journey circle and practice with some friends i mean anyone who's beginning to engage in shamanic work and and living shamanically it's we all have a burden of teaching because our culture well at least here in america our culture is clueless right so don't confuse them even more (laughs) that's my basic point okay so Possession is a problem. At its essence, it is an experience that runs contrary to a person's free will and begins to override their ability to choose freely. So at the root of understanding the difference between an actual problematic possession state and the range of shamanic altered states that involve merging with spirit is this issue of choice. So the trickiest place here is when a person intentionally opens themselves up and makes themselves available to be used for healing. I hear this, I hear people say this all the time. I I just open myself. Now, I'm not saying this, (laughs) but I hear people say, I open myself up completely and I make myself available for healing, whatever needs to happen. So this is really tricky because now the person has opened themselves, right? They said it. They used their free will. They said, I open myself. So now the door is wide open. Do you really think the invisible invisible energies sit around and talk about whether or not they're compassionate spirits or not and whether or not you really mean that door is open for them or not? Right? The invisible world is an amoral world, not immoral, but amoral. Right? Our sense of ethics and morality do not play there. It is not up to the spirit world to decide who should or should not come through that door you just blasted wide open. That is up to you and it will always be up to you to decide who you open your door for. It is your body. It is your choice. And so that's issue number one. When do you open? To whom do you open and why? That is, those are the critical questions around embodiment. The second issue is your unconscious choices are choosing too. So, and this is really where we end up in, in unhealthy possession states. So if you're going to work with spirit, then you need to understand that working with spirit requires constant, continuous personal work to minimize the degree to which your unconscious mind is running the show. And opening the door after you've closed it intentionally and allowing in who knows what, right? So those who have mastered the art of opening themselves to be a tool for spirit do loads of deep work. People do do that well, right? They're usually pretty mature practitioners. They do loads of personal work. They understand the distinction between a wow, intense experience and actual transformational work. They often practice or have studied some form of um, martial art or energy practice deeply for sometimes decades, sometimes several different forms 
um, people who have really mastered this art of opening themselves to be a tool for spirit um, also have a keen awareness of their own energy and their own energy body relative to other people. So this is why simply believing in love and light and not really doing the heart work, the body work, the mind work necessary to truly live in love and light doesn't protect you. This just believing in it in your mind is not good enough if we're starting to talk about opening the doors wide to invite in spirit. Right? It's not intention is not everything. Intention matters, but it is not everything. And this whole world is not just in your head. So just believing in love and light is not good enough. It is not enough when we're talking about really opening ourselves to spirit. So the thing about possessions is this isn't, isn't like Hollywood, right? You don't really get something kicking down your door if you have a door. I mean, many of you don't have doors. You don't have boundaries at all. You're not grounded. You don't have boundaries. So you don't have a door. So you're already screwed, right? <laughs> because you aren't educating yourself. Instead, you're Googling and hearing definitions of sensitive people and empaths and going, oh, that's me, instead of actually finding out who you actually are once you actually have cultivated your responsibility around your energy body. If you actually have a good grounding cord, uh, some conscious uh, personal energy in your chakras, not everybody else's everything in your chakras, and actually have boundaries, you may find that you're really not overly sensitive to everything. Okay, so that's really the issue here. So basically, my point is that the spirits, generally speaking, really don't kick down the door. That most of you have simply left the door open from a lack of conscious awareness and a lack of energy education. The other thing is for people that do have some awareness, that door gets seduced open all the time. I mean, those that are not compassionate spirits figured out a really long time ago that the quickest way to get an, a person with free will to do what you'd like them to do is to give them everything they want and then coerce them. It's really easy to seduce a human. Humans are simple, especially today. Right, So pay attention. I mean, part of the second year training in my cycle work is about becoming unseducible. Just precisely so that this doesn't happen. So the point is things are not what they appear. And it's really easy for people to fall for it if you're not doing any personal work. Right. So keep in mind that possession is not all demonic possession. So in, in my opinion, opinion actually the more dangerous possession because it is so pervasive and normalized is vitico is the true actual evil evil which is just the idea that gets into your mind no demons needed when you've got a human being thinking it and doing it so really I mean, the most common possession that people are dealing with is simply the presence of dead people all around, whether they're your ancestors or just random dead people around, and then your own ancestors' unresolved issues, that this is actually the really the most common form of possession. It's not demonic at all. It's just folks. 
just folks just like you and me. But that energy begins to move through us. We allow it in and it begins to affect how we choose to use our free will. So I hope we're clear because I don't really want to spend all day talking about possession. It's not a happy idea. And so I hope we're all clear about possession. It's the intrusion of a foreign energy, large or small, that begins to influence us, us being humans, and use our free will. Okay, or get us to use our free will in ways we wouldn't otherwise if we weren't being influenced. Okay, so let's move on because embodiment is what I want to talk about. And embodiment, done well, is really wonderful, joyful, celebratory, healthy part of a shamanic practice. So, I don't know, about a month ago, I think, I had a really lovely show with Martha, Marsha Scarsborough. She was talking about her new book, um, Hunting in the River. And uh, in the course of talking about that book, we talked about Ifa and dancing to embody the Orisha deities in ceremony, in big dancing, drumming, singing, sweaty, wonderful ceremonies. And we talked um, some in that show about embodiment trance states and how they benefit us and the, the powerful healing form that they are and the enormous um, celebration of life and the way um, dancing in particular embodiment trance states um, uh, can engage people in beginning to to create the energetic ties that build um, a new form of community anyway so those are things we touched on in the show and after the show some of the listeners emailed me and asked if I could do talk more about embodiment and I realized I don't I haven't talked about embodiment on the show because it's a podcast you're out there who knows where who knows what you're doing with the information that I'm giving you and embodiment for the reasons I just talked about the possession piece can be really problematic it's not like saying yeah go learn how to journey you'll be fine because mostly you will be fine journeying with embodiment it's different you're much more likely to end as a novice to end up in a problematic situation than you are journeying so that's the reason I haven't talked about it yet but I thought well okay people are asking it is a really important part about shamanism it's a huge part of the cycle teachings is moving using using dance and embodiment um, in many ways I, I personally think it's a just a luscious healing rejuvenating inspiring aspect of shamanism and mostly people look down their noses at it uh, unfortunately but that's what you get for having a snooty nose so anyway so now the deal here though is that the relationship between embodiment and possession is the tricky part as I've already said that the first question if you want to begin to explore embodying your own helping spirits is about your boundaries and your choice to open that door, right? Uh, to invite spirit in. Okay, the next question you would ask yourself prior to doing this is what are you going to embody and why is the third question. So those three questions are really important. The choice to open the door, who are you embodying and why? Who or what are you embodying and why? So, so for example, first year people two weeks my my group for this year is starting first part of the first year of the cycle of transformation teachings yahoo so first thing we do when we gather is we do an enormous clearing ritual 
The next thing we do is journey to identify the helping spirit who is with us in this life to support us in living our particular soul's purpose in this lifetime. The next thing we do is a ritual, to dance ritual, to embody that particular helping spirit. It's not optional. It's that helping spirit. And so we've identified a helping spirit who is with you to support you in living your soul's purpose. And then the next step is forging your relationship with that spirit, thus the embodiment dance. And so we do an, a, a, a dance where you embody that spirit and then in that dance we explore that spirit. What does that spirit have to teach you? Right, So you get to know that helping spirit so you would recognize it in your dreams, in your waking day, in your journeys. The more you embody it and dance it and explore its energy, the more familiar you become with it. It's really not rocket science. It's pretty simplistic actually. But the point is you want to know that spirit in its many presentations. Is it a predator? Is it prey? How does it feed itself? How does it mate? How does it, you know, how does it procreate? How, how does it move through the world? How, you want to experience that helping spirit in all of its many forms. Um, in the hunt, being hunted, escaping, catching, eating, renting, all of it. Okay. Uh, renting as in eating, not as in paying your rent. Okay. So then, the point is, then we end the trance state. And yes, it's short. And everybody's always kind of like, oh, it feels really abrupt for people because they're in this really joyful, empowered, ecstatic state of merging with their helping spirit and exploring this relationship for many people for the very first time. And they just want to keep going all night. But the important thing is people need to be reminded that they are the ones with the free will. They are the ones to enter and exit the state at will. And that is the other part of that ritual. This other part of the teaching in that ritual is the need to be able to step out of that merged state. And so what I've just described it would is actually, you know, the way you could begin to um, work with embodying your own helping spirits. Just work through the questions. Um, the choosing to embody your helping spirit. So if you've never done this before, you really need to look at set and setting, right? Make sure you clear the space. Make sure you protect the space with other helping spirits, power objects, you know, whatever you're going to use. Make sure it's a safe and sacred space before you open up and invite your helping spirit in. So then the next question is who are you embodying? Right? Do not just wing it at the beginning. Oh, I'll just try this thing Christina's talking about and let anything that wants to come in. Do not do that. So let's say that you have really crappy journeys and you really wanted me to do a show on embodiment because you suck at journeying or you think you suck at journeying, right? And that you think maybe your helping spirit is some kind of bird. Great. That's all you need to practice embodiment. And through embodying the bird, becoming the bird in the dance, you will discover what kind of bird it is. It may not even be a bird. Maybe it's a bat. But the point is how it flies, how you feel as you're flying, what it feels like to become that bird. You are going to know immediately whether you're an eagle or a hummingbird or a sparrow or a raven, right? You'll know immediately in your first embodiment dance of that helping spirit. 
The point is you knew who to invite in from the journey. And that's a really important thing. Now, is journeying the only way to know? All right. Let's say a wolf has been showing up in your dreamscape for forever. You can probably call in the wolf safely, right? But let's say that the wolf is um, shapeshifty, isn't really always a wolf. Sometimes it's part of your nightmares and sometimes it's not. I wouldn't invite that in yet. I would invite in a helping spirit I am confident of and begin to ask that helping spirit about whether or not I should invite in the shapeshifty wolf. You see my point, I hope. Okay, so moving right along, then the third question you need to be asking is, what is your intent? What is your intent in embodying this helping spirit? Um, Do not leave the door of the space wide open for whatever needs to happen, right? Instead, you can ask, whatever needs to happen for my healing, um, whatever needs to happen so that I know you more fully, Um, set an intent. You can still be open to what happens without leaving the barn door wide open. Okay, so... Embodiment's trance states are uh, primary in vast regions of shamanic people around the globe. They are the primary altered state. In other regions, journeying is the primary altered state. But if we're talking about Africa, much of Southeast Asia, the South Pacific, parts of North America, and parts of India – other regions where the ecstatic trance states or embodiment trance states are employed by the traditional shamanic healers and these healers rarely journey. What's odd is, well, anyway, so my point is that's about half the globe. So about half the shamanic people on the planet their primary journey state is embodiment, dancing and bringing the energy up and connecting with their helping spirits in that way. And so we as contemporary practitioners need to educate ourselves, not carry forward an academic bias and carry forward a practitioner's understanding of the value of both of these trance states. So, Okay, so we all know the word shaman is adopted into English to name something that English-speaking people no longer understood or had a name for, and that the word comes out of Siberia, uh, where there are several different but related languages and many versions of the origin of the word shaman, right? So if we look at one of the most common references, which would be the Tungistic from Tungus, right, the Tungus people, um, term shaman. And the meaning behind the translation refers to practitioners of embodiment techniques, which is really fascinating is that this is the word we've adopted. It refers to embodiment techniques, but we have, I mean, and these are practitioners that move and shake and look practically like they're having an epileptic fit, right? As they embody their helping spirits, especially as a transition is happening from everyday ordinary human into the merging and the ability to then work together in the embodiment trance state. There's a lot of twitching and shaking and, and kind of spastic looking movement. And um, as this term, salmon spread to China and Japan, it continued to be used to refer to practitioners who utilized embodiment intentionally, 
right? So it's so curious that this word has come to apply almost exclusively to practitioners of journeying or soul flight, as it's called in literature. And so we need you need to understand that this comes out of this really deeply held bias that has been um, shuffled through academia and the literature because everybody's going back to the same references to say whatever they want to say about shamanism. But it's really not a part of how the shamans explain it themselves. And the important thing to recognize is that full embodiment trance states are not only expected in some cultures, but it's actually necessary to do safely do some of the aspects of shamanic healing. Like you would not want to do sucking extractions if you were not in a full embodiment trance state of either a plant spirit or an animal spirit. I've seen both, but these practitioners um, are serious healers. It's a, it's an amazing skill, and they are full on embodiment trance states when they're doing it, and the, and it's the only way to protect themselves from the energies that they're extracting. So the important thing to understand about embodiment is it's not only necessary sometimes for the efficacy of certain healing forms, but it's necessary for the safety of certain healing forms, uh, particularly for the shaman. So So what makes the embodiment an act of shamanism is the individual's ability not only to surrender to spirit, but to do so with a purpose and to accomplish that purpose while in that trance state. So the purpose may be individual healing, like extraction work, sucking extraction or other kinds of extraction work I was just talking about. It can be divination, deeper understanding of what's going on. Or it can be a healing ritual for the community. These are sort of examples of what a shaman might do in an embodiment trance state. Okay, so embodiment trances are invoked um, by the same variety of techniques that many other shamanic trance states are, like dancing, chanting, shaking, um, drumming. Um, In embodiment trance states, the shaman isn't going for a full-on shapeshift. Right, But they're trying to allow the energy of the helping spirit to enter in and surrender the body to allow the helping spirit to move the body or to use the human body. Thus, there is often a need for wild dancing and shaking to let that transition occur in the body. Um, This is also the reason, by the way, that some of you twitch when you journey and have kind of spastic movements when you're journeying is often it's just the connection of your energy with your helping spirits energy even in the journey anyway uh, the shaman does not usually physically shape shift fully into the form of the helping spirit for an embodiment trance state to be effective um, however there are reports of shape shifting um, from first contact people but they don't shape shift uh, for example to do an extraction they're usually shape shifting to accomplish something else um, and what's interesting is there's some reports of shape-shifting from even contemporary people like Stanley Krippner has talked about it in some of his books of witnessing it, right? So before you try this at home, <laughs> ask yourself why. You know, why are you doing this? This isn't – this whole idea of shape-shifting and embodiment, this isn't like, wow, that's a cool thing to do. That, that That's like let's go skateboard and the neighbor's empty 
you know, swimming pool and see what happens. You know, I mean, this is not something that, you know, you're just going to get a broken arm that's going to heal. You can open up a relationship with energies you don't want to be in relationship with. So it's not something to be afraid of, but it's also not something to just joyride through or to take lightly. So back here in reality land, practically speaking, shamans use both journeying and embodiment as is needed um, by whatever needs to be done in the healing session. And they use both trance states, both of these trance states to greater and lesser degrees, again, depending on what needs to be done. You know, as Americans, at least, we tend to go for the big guns all the time in many ways. And I find this a very offensive part of American culture, but it's sort of like we, we would be of the opinion, well, if it's not a full on body shape shift, it's not a real embodiment trance state, you know, or with journeying, if I'm not completely out of my body and have no memory of what's going on in the room, it must not be a journey. I mean, we're so excessive and extreme and that's really not realistic when you're actually watching indigenous shamanic practitioners work. So if you want to explore embodiment, do so safely. Doing, doing so safely is my concern and it should be your concern. And then it's important to learn your little embodiment questions and make sure you've covered them all before you do it. Your choice. You're choosing to open the door. Knowing what or whom you are intending to embody and knowing why you're doing it. And then finally, once you're doing it, it's not that hard to do, but once you're doing it, stick with the program. Stick with your why. Don't get carried away and get into who knows what can happen. But do what you've embodied the helping spirit to do. And when you're done, end the embodiment. The ability to begin it and end it are both critically important. Okay, so I've tried to draw these really clear lines today so that you can understand the distinction between opening yourself up and getting possessed, which happens a lot, and the distinction then between intentionally choosing to open yourself to work directly with spirit through an embodiment trance state, that there's much more choice and volition and discernment and distinction in one versus new agey opening myself up to whatever needs to happen in the other. So there's a distinction then between being responsible and irresponsible with yourself and your energy and there is a distinction between shamanic healing in an embodiment trance state and other forms of energy healing that also involve incorporating some sort of spirit energy. I mean, even Reiki. I mean, what is Reiki if it's not about the embodiment of Reiki energy and moving it, right? It's the same idea. So good healing almost always involves a human being embodying another energy. And so there's lots of healing work that involves merging and embodying energy. So part of what I also want to distinguish is what is shamanic embodiment, shamanic healing states versus just healing, right? Okay, so these distinctions are all, I mean, they're important just so we start to really understand what we're doing. Okay, so why would you want to uh, explore embodiment states? Well, the main reason is because some people are really strongly kinesthetic and they are not bothered by every little movement or sound in the room. And they're often actually challenged by journeying and the need to stay still and move around in the, in the dream state 
journey state that they 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 want to get up and move and um it doesn't mean people like that like me <laughs> can't learn how to journey but for many people their own personal gifts are somewhat better suited for embodiment than for journeying and since half the world's shamans use embodiment instead of journeying you're in good company there's nothing wrong with that so however you still need to have a why when you're doing it um, and that's just like having the question or the intention in the journey what is your intent for entering into the trance state whether it's a journey or an embodiment trance state and then to stay focused in the trance state on accomplishing that intent okay so now that I've drawn these lines for educational purposes let's talk about the in-between so this is shamanism after all and shamanism is all about the in-between so there's a couple couple different kinds of in-between that I think are really interesting so there are very few people on the planet but there are some who do not see the energy that moves through the shaman to do the shamanic healing work as an energy coming from a helping spirit and and the, the really the primary and one of the few examples would be um people of the kalahari um but they call themselves the san or the kong bushman is really not an appropriate word to use anymore but they do a dance ritual which uh raises the fire inside the person through the dancing and and boils an energy um, called num power and that it begins to travel up the dancer's spine and those who have mastered this this boiling of the num can then direct it through their hands for healing and ultimately when questioned they believe that this energy does rise out of the earth but more the sense that this is just a natural energy that is present in the relationship between human beings and the earth and that you can learn to sort of boil it and rise it and use it um and we're going to have bradford keeney on the show in september to talk a little bit more about this particular aspect of embodiment it, to me it's really interesting and unique because they're not the the people themselves are not conceptualizing this helping spirit idea it's fascinating another version of this though is seen even today in the women in finland who who cultivate the same energy um it's called vitu for them there's a male counterpart but i can't remember what it's called but anyway the women call it up and they use it to bless the animals in the summer to to bless the the crops to bless the energy to be fertile and abundant um and but it's it's very much the same quality of bringing up this force of life and healing and uh, and it comes through embodiment through the willingness to to bring up this energy and boil it and move it and learn to direct it okay so now with that said there's another in-between state i actually mentioned it a little bit early in the show but didn't make a point of it then there are people who are really clear intuitive healers and they are crystal clear that they quote unquote work for spirit they almost always use exactly the same words what is distinct about these individuals is they are not wishy-washy 
Like a lot of the people that call me for healing are really wishy-washy about, oh, there are these spirit energies and I want to clear my chakras and, and raise enlightenment. But when I was um, in my punk phase, I did, you know, black masses and I, I gave my soul to the devil. So I don't know if I can still do this. You know, there's this really wishy-washy, messy relationship with the spirit world. And, and what their relationship with the spirit world is going to be. So with these people I'm talking about, what I consider really clear intuitive healers who quote-unquote work for spirit, they are absolutely clear that they are working with spirit. They know they don't working with cedar spirit. It's not that kind of shamanic distinction, but they are absolutely crystal clear that they are working with a powerful force for life and well-being. And... Uh, for most of them, actually, the question of what spirit do you work with doesn't even make sense because these men and women, they work in an embodiment state and the energy that moves through them is indescribably large in a sense um, and that they typically feel somewhat seized by the moment. Um, so one woman told me, she said, it was so strong that I had to tell that spirit um, that I wouldn't be able to do whatever they wanted me able to do driving down the freeway at 75 miles per hour. So they had to just let me pull over first. <laughs> so <laughs> that's one of my favorite um, <laughs> statements about the, the randomness and the frustration of being a contemporary person because we do many things an indigenous person would consider insane like driving, right, doing anything you know, faster than we can run ourselves. Um, so we do these insane things and then suddenly there's a spontaneous um, presentation of spirit needing to move you to affect some change somewhere here on earth and you're driving at 75 miles down the freeway, right? <laughs> so what's interesting about these intuitive practitioners who do work in an embodiment trance state all the time is that they do not take appointments for the most part. These people tend to be ready and somewhat random. And I, and I don't mean that negatively at all, but that they are basically available for what needs to be done when it needs to be done. And rarely does it make sense when it's happening from what they say, right? So one man described it this way. When I let spirit come into me, I shake like an epileptic. Then I start talking in languages I don't know. That I have some, oh, they, sorry, they, spirit, they have some standard prayers that I've come to recognize through repetition. I have an idea what they mean, but I'm not sure. People tell me later about their healings. They ask what language and more. Most of the time I smile and nod. I tell them I don't remember. And that's the truth. What I do remember is not remembered in a way that I can tell them. So I consider this type of practitioner, this kind of gray area, um, not gray in a bad way, but this is the kind of person who is clearly working in an embodiment trance state, clearly working with spirit, clearly effective. There's also this quality of, of sudden, random, no appointment made, don't exactly know what's going on, but they know that the healing is going on because they recognize the feeling of the spirit they recognize the quality of being in an embodiment state and they trust the experience and surrender to it and go with it. What's important though that I want to point out, for example, in the quote from this one practitioner is it begins with, when I let spirit come into me. So even though it's random, even though it's sudden, 
it's the practitioner still has volition. The woman still said, you know, I got to pull over before we go here, that this is not possession. The person's free will is not overridden. They are not in an unhealthy state. And that, that piece is the thing that many of you need to look at in yourselves because many people ask for healing so they can become a shaman and they are, their free will is completely overridden by whatever spirits they're working with. And that is not someone who's ready to become a shaman. Um, so for me, the way I sort things out in my brain about all of this is that these people who are working in embodiment trance states are conscious about letting spirit in. They may not know the who, the way I was talking about before, and they may not know the why until it's over. But this is really the critical difference between possession and embodiment. That is the volition of the human involved. There is a reason. I don't presume to know it. But there is a reason that spirit sometimes needs hands and feet and a voice and a heart of a human to do what needs to be done. I don't know why, but it's always been this way. And this is what understanding, truly understanding an embodiment trance state is about, is responding and being the hands, the feet, the voice of spirit when needed. So I give enormous thanks to the helping spirits that help us sort all this stuff out because it certainly is confusing. So I give great gratitude to the ancestors that are gathered around us, to the earth below and the sky above and the heart that unites us all. Thank you, everyone, and have a great week. Pay attention to your solstice ritual coming up and have a good one.